Well, we are wrapping up our series today, the Good Question series. We started with talking about how hate is incompatible with the faith of Jesus Christ. And then we talked about how we approach the Bible and wrestled with some of the most troubling passages in the Bible and gave you a, a form of interpretation that understands both the divine and human aspect to the writing of the Bible. Last week, Pastor Aaron shared that for centuries, science and faith went hand in hand. As a matter of fact, faith often inspired science, and it seems like in recent times we've gone in opposition of one another, but we need to find that balance once again. Next week, we're going to start a new series called What the Bible Doesn't Say, and we'll look at the question, God helps those who helps themselves. And no, you won't find that in the Bible anywhere. Today we're talking about where our self-esteem comes from. Where do we find our worth? And the question came actually from two places. It came, first of all, from a a stay-at-home mother who's not experiencing the productivity that comes from living out her career. But the question also came from someone who is in a career and who's wrestling with trying to somehow give enough to her family at the same time, which shows the challenge that's there. We've come a long ways juggling work and career for women, but still, there's more work to be done. And it's not just women that struggle with self-esteem. Anybody that's recently retired, I hear them talking about how it's an adjustment, as they used to be uh, going to work and know that your decisions, your opinions mattered, and then now you stay at home and you're kind of chopped liver when you're there. We also know that self-esteem of teens is, is actually dropping. And we believe it has something to do with social media because on social media we put out these ideal pictures of ourselves that nobody can live up to. And so we begin to judge ourselves, measure ourselves according to that standard, which is unrealistic. Also includes a lot of cyberbullying that's an issue as well. So there's lots of work for us in many places when we come to this area of self-esteem. So I don't know if you took time to play with this a little bit, but how did you do? How'd you score? There's a possible 40 points on this. And let me say, if you really want to get into this, this is what we call the Rosenberg Self-Esteem Scale. As we said, we put it on our website as well if you'd like to look at it later. This is kind of a generalized picture of your self-esteem. Some believe it only gives you a, a, a small picture because... Self-esteem is much more complicated than that. Matter of fact, if you really want to dig into this, I encourage you to, to search out and find a self-efficacy test because it recognizes that our self-esteem is high and lower in different places in our life. For example, we may feel really good about going to work, and so we feel very competent there, and we have good self-esteem at work, but then we may not be quite as good at interpersonal relationships, or it might be vice versa, or you may have social circles where you feel very confident and at home and secure, and other places not so much. So that kind of test helps you gauge that in various areas of your life. But if you just want to look at this, the highest score possible is 40, and they say that a normal score is 15 to 25, 15 to 25. So if you score lower than 15, I encourage you, seek out a pastor, seek out a counselor, and come to grips with what are the messages that that are bringing you down on that. But I found it interesting as I studied this because I hadn't thought too much about it. But have you ever considered that your self-esteem can be too high? Do you know anybody like that? Yeah. We usually talk a lot about 
low self-esteem. We, we dwell on that quite a bit, but it is possible to have too high of self-esteem. And if you know people like that, then you know that sometimes it impacts your work relationships. If you can't handle self-criticism because you think you're so great, it's a problem. It can also inter impact interpersonal relationships. So it's interesting that a balanced self-esteem is a good thing. And I found that interesting because I think that's the picture I get when I read the Bible. On the one hand, you can turn to Genesis 127, where it says, we are made in God's image. Male and female, he created them. That's pretty high standard, isn't it? On the other hand, you can turn to Romans 3, and it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's that balance, and I think that lives itself out through all the scriptures when you read them as a whole. So we should be aiming for a more balanced picture of ourselves. Not too high, not too low, but obviously, as we build it, it can be very helpful. Some of us, at least in my ministry, I've done a lot of counseling, and I often find the issues that people bring to me are the issues where they have lived in a home where the emphasis, or sometimes grown up in a church, where the emphasis is so strong on our sinful nature that they just found themselves beaten down. Guilt and fear have been often used to keep them in line as a child. And so my job as a counselor is to help them reform their concept of God. Know that, yes, we are accountable, but God loves us unconditionally. Many of us carry around messages from our family of origin that have beaten ourselves down. It impacts our relationships, and sometimes it even impacts our career path. So we can look at a lot of scriptures today, but I want to just focus on what was just read earlier by Pastor. And Psalm 139, I think, is probably the greatest concentration of inspiration on this subject that you'll find in the scriptures. So if you don't mind, the rest of our time, I just want to do a mini Bible study on Psalm 139. It starts out, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You discern my thoughts. You're acquainted with all my ways. We live in a world that's got 7.53 billion people. It's easy to feel insignificant, isn't it? Even a town like Noblesville that some would consider small, it's very possible to go to store, go to restaurant, and not see anybody that you know. We perk up when we hear our name called. It's sometimes it's good to be anonymous. Sometimes, especially us introverts, we like to lay low. But still, we have a human need to know and to be known. I remember when I lived in New Albany for 16 years. And because I was so involved in the community, taught uh, <clears throat> coast basketball at the elementary level, which put me through all the schools in the Floyd County system. I was the chaplain for the football team, chaplain for the sheriff's department. We had eight United Methodist churches in the town, and so there was lots of ecumenical efforts that put me in touch with Methodists all over the town as well. Matter of fact, my children didn't like that a whole lot. They couldn't get away with anything. They'd come home from school, and I'd say, well, I heard that you did such and such. And they'd say, how do you know that? But I never revealed my sources. I usually just said, oh, God told me. <laughs> we have a need to be known. 
I've experienced it just the other day where we had the Martin Luther King service. And, and I've just been here less than four years, but I'm starting to feel some of that now, getting connected in the community enough through some of our ecumenical efforts, through some of our community involvement. It was wonderful to gather together in a different space and still see all these people want to touch base and connect with one another. And I love it because we have that human need to know and be known. Not all of us have those connections, but the promise we do have from this psalm is that God knows us. God knows us intimately. He knows our movements. He discerns our thoughts. He registers our activity and our inactivity. He knows our habits and our idiosyncrasies. There's nothing that we can hide from God. And then we move on to the next few verses. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Now, when you, when you read this at first, it, it almost sounds a little negative, doesn't it? It kind of continues that theme of God knowing us so deeply. Literally in the Hebrew, it says we are besieged, that God has such control that he knows everything there is to know about us. Even the writer is a little intimidated by it. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. The point is, there's nowhere to hide from God. And that may sound intimidating. It may sound a little too vulnerable, a little too naked. But it's a good thing. When I read this, I think of Ron Hauswald. I think I've mentioned him before. He and Mary Hauswald were like surrogate grandparents to our children down in New Albany. And something about Ron, he was a dentist. So he had this way about him. He literally drilled you and figuratively drilled you because he was somebody, when he'd ask you, so Jerry, how you doing? And he would look me over. There was no hiding anything from Ron. He would pick up on my body language. He'd pick up on my tone of voice. If I had any hesitation at all when I said fine, he'd go, are you sure? And Ron was somebody that you felt comfortable confessing to. Matter of fact, sometimes I think he knew me better than I knew myself. He would pick up on my emotions externally before sometimes I'd be aware of them internally. But here's the thing about Ron, and sometimes that would be intimidating, but it was always comforting because Ron had this compassion. He was a hugger. He was a lover. He cared about people. He was somebody that if you shared something, he would check back with you later on to know how did things turn out. So it was a safe place to be known fully and completely. And that's what I think the writer is trying to get at here, that God knows us so well. And it's good for our self-esteem because self-esteem doesn't come from being told you're great all the time. Our self-esteem comes when we realize our flaws and our weaknesses, our challenges, our struggles, and with God's help, we do something about them. When we grow in these areas, it builds confidence and it builds competence. And when we experience the ability to change our life circumstances, it's incredibly helpful in building our self-esteem. And then here's my favorite part of the passage. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? I can send into heaven and you are there. I can make my bed in Sheol. Sheol is the place of the dead in the Hebrew Bible. 
It's the closest it comes to our New Testament concept of hell. And it talks about the darkness that we experience. And we experience darkness in our lives. Sometimes we experience darkness of our own doing. We experience bad things sometimes, and sometimes we make bad decisions. And that costs us. Have you ever really let somebody down? Do you remember how that felt? You felt about that big, didn't you? But the promise is that God, who's with us in the good times, is also with us in the difficult times. And here, what I find so intriguing, with God, there is no dark places with God. In the darkness, God is not bothered by the darkness. He goes with us in our weaknesses, in our struggles, and who we are, even in our sinfulness. Romans 5 says to us, while we're still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, any healthy self-esteem takes a dose of God's grace because we're all going to fail sometime. We're all going to let somebody down. We're bound to cause someone pain. And Psalm 139 declares that God sees us as we are, and yet we still belong to God. And then finally, this might be the part you remember the most. You probably heard it before, even without knowing it came from this psalm. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. Well, this week I made a quick trip to Nashville, and I got to hold a beautiful newborn baby that happens to be our newest grandchild. I think she's got more hair than I got. The nurses, you don't have to agree with that so quickly, you know. <laughs> the nurses says she's got the longest eyelashes they ever seen. And say she, when she called me, said, Dad, she's perfect. But you know, she's a rock star in our family right now. You know how many pictures of her are floating around the Internet? I'm getting a Google update about every hour, it seems like, on my phone. When you look in the mirror... Do you see a rock star? When you look in the mirror, do you say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made? Do you say, wonderful are your works? The Common English Bible translates that phrase a little differently, and it's probably the more accurate rendering. It says, I was marvelously set apart. Marvelously set apart. We don't do that, do we? We look in the mirror and we see that we're too fat, our nose is too long, our hair's too curly, our hair's too straight, our hair's not enough. We have the wrong body shape. We always want to look like somebody else. Our self-perception gets clouded in so many ways in so many places. We turn on the TV and we got these idealized versions that we're all trying to attain to and none of us can, can complete. We're told what products we've got to have to look perfect. We're told what things we have to have in order to be considered successful. We are measured and tested over and over by standards that don't recognize our unique giftedness. And some of us have been raised in very critical environments that have told us over and over that we're not good enough. Some parents use guilt and shame to keep us in line, but the result's a damaged self 
image. Some of us have been coddled by our parents and never given the opportunity to build our self-esteem by taking on the challenges of life and overcoming them. And that can be just as bad. Some of us have been scarred by life's events at critical times in our life. I've shared before that my mother attempted suicide twice in my life. One of those was when I was eight years old. And it wasn't until I was 28 that I came to the realization of how much that had impacted my life. It's then when I began to remember that when my mother was taken to the hospital, my dad, dad came home with the news that somehow I said to my little eight-year-old mind that there must be something wrong with me or my mother wouldn't do this. It wasn't until age 28 that I was able to get rid of that burden, let go of that struggle, and realize the impact it had had been hiding in my psyche all that time. Let me tell you what a boost my self-esteem took when I set myself free from that. It was truly another step in my salvation of embracing fully in my heart God's complete love for me. How wonderful it was to get that crud out of my life. So if you're having trouble looking in the mirror and declaring yourself fearfully and wonderfully made, then find the help you need to rid yourself of those negative messages. so that you can see yourself the way God sees you, because you are marvelously set apart for a grand purpose. Let's pray. Lord, I imagine most of us can think of someone that we know that suffers from poor self-esteem. Help us to love them, encourage them. That person just might even be us. Help us to hear this psalm Help us to reflect and meditate upon it regularly. If we need to stand in the mirror and say to ourselves day after day that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are your creation. We are made in your image. And flawed though we may be, we know that we belong to you always. This is our hope. This is our prayer on this day through Christ who is our Lord. Amen.